Merry Christmas, Journey. Good to see you all. My name's Chris, and I am really glad that we get to share this space together on Christmas Eve. There are all kinds of things vying for our attention during this season, yet all of us have decided, I mean, some of us have decided for other people too, but on some level, we all decided that we would be in this room together. And I think that just says something. Uh, something about our hope or our expectation that God would speak or move among us. I believe he already is and he's already doing that and he's already here and so we invite him to continue that. Uh, It's just, it's special to be with all of you today. I think it would be a miss to not even just acknowledge how we've already started as we had some very powerful and beautiful stories of people just vulnerably sharing what God has done and is continuing to do in their life. And I think we need to acknowledge that when those things happen, the courage that it takes to share that part of them. And it's this reminder for all of us that all of our stories matter, no matter those details, no no matter what it is that God longs to break into that. And that then during that break, in, he is a God who is with us. And so there's a beautiful start to all of this. Sometimes I hear those stories and I'm like, well, let's just wrap this thing up, right? But I prepared something, so I'm gonna share it anyway with all of you. Today is, in fact, the final day of a season that the historical church calls Advent. And the word Advent means coming. And so what's happening during Advent is that we anticipate with a hopeful expectation the coming of Jesus, The coming of baby Jesus, who is God in the flesh. The coming of Jesus daily in our lives by the way of his spirit. And the coming of Jesus when he will come again to restore all creation and redeem all that is broken and divided and dying. But he is coming. And even still, I fear that we have a tendency to become numb to what the birth of Jesus means. We do this thing every year where we get together and we celebrate the birth of Jesus or at least part of us remembers that that's what it's about. And so that's why the church has this season of Advent. It's this short season of preparation so that we might be more in tune with the holy God becoming flesh and mixing with the profane, heaven touching dirt and peace tangling itself into chaos. The birth of Jesus shows us that even in the midst of everything that might seem wrong with this world, all heaven is breaking loose. And so as we step into scripture for our time today, we'll finish by looking at one more thing Jesus is coming to do. Today's message is titled, Jesus is coming to feed the hungry. Or as we'll find out in a moment, Jesus announces that he is in fact the very bread of life. And so I'm going to read a portion of this proclamation that Jesus makes in John 6. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll let the spirit guide our time of being fed by the bread of life. How's that sound? Yeah, we're up for that? Okay, some are extra excited, which is making me excited as well. Here we are, John 6, beginning in verse 25. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, When did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. 
They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us some miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread of heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the gift of gathering together. I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted that we can all come into this building, into this space, out of the cold, and we can be together. And it's in this gathering, God, that you long to meet us where we are. And so I pray that we would receive what it is you have for us, that we would have open hearts and open minds to hear from you, to acknowledge that you are a God who loves us and longs to be with us, and so God, whatever it is that we might be carrying with us into this place, I just, I just pray that we would humbly set it before you and allow you to speak into our lives, into our lives as individuals and into our lives as a collective community, God. We invite you to speak. We expect you to speak. And so I pray that you would give me your words to say that they would be for you and from you. And God, we would make much of you and point to you and glorify you in all of this. We thank you for the gift of your son and we pray these things in his name, amen. So the human body is about 65% water. I confirmed this with my wife who's just about done with medical school, although she took a while to text me back so I also confirmed it on Google. Uh, turns out you don't have to go to medical school to find that out. But if our bodies are 65% water, then the other 35% of my body is definitely Christmas cookies. <laughs> or, or like some version of a carbo-loaded Christmas treat. Right? I'm, a, I'm about maxed out. I'm starting to creep into that 65% now. So uh, pray for me. In that. But while, while this is my coping holiday survival strategy... It actually speaks to something greater in me and probably something greater in all of us, right? We have basic needs for survival, and I don't need to tell you this, but eating is one of them. In the history of the world, bread is a staple food for that survival, and it's so connected to our basic needs that Jesus uses it as one of his favorite metaphors along with one of his favorite miracle props, and I think it's because Jesus has always known that we are all hungry. We're all hungry for something to sustain us and hungry for something to fill us. And the world over knows this longing too because for some it is actual food that they hunger for. For some it's a place to live. For some it's peace. For some it's to be known and of course, this hungering that we have, it can be manipulated. And as we follow it, there are times when it leads us astray as we attempt to satiate our longing in ways that only temporarily satisfy or perhaps even never satisfy. So I think it's fitting that Gandhi, of all people, said, the world is so hungry for God that God could only come as a piece of bread. 
For bread is something tangible, something we can taste and something we can hold on to. It's something that fills us and nourishes us and stays with us. And so what does Jesus then have to say about this bread metaphor? Before Jesus ever refers to himself as a piece of bread, he works a wild miracle with a few loaves of it. And this starts in John chapter six. That's the chapter we're in today. So here's how the whole thing begins. Jesus is in the middle of nowhere. And he's in the middle of nowhere and he's teaching and healing and people are drawn to what it is that he's doing. The miracles that they're seeing and the type of teaching that they're experiencing and crowds come from all over. And as they gather more and more and more, the day goes on and it's beginning to get late. And since they're in the middle of nowhere, instead of sending these people away to find food for themselves, Jesus miraculously turns a few loaves of bread and a couple fish into a meal for over 5,000 people. And yet at this point, if you're these people who have gathered around this teacher and healer, and now he's fed you this miracle meal, you are beginning to think of something. You're beginning to think of the prophet Moses the one who fed God's people with manna from heaven. Manna is what the writers of the Psalms refer to as the grains of heaven or the bread of angels. And it was given to the Israelites, God's people, as they pled for bread in the desert. It was what God provided for them. And so the hungry people that Jesus has just fed in the middle of nowhere by the Sea of Galilee are looking at him and they're seeing someone who's acting like the new Moses. This is the Messiah, the one they've been promised, the one who is to come. And now that they've seen what he can do, they want to force him to be their king and restore their people because they have always longed for restoration. But Jesus resists their force and he slips away into the nearby hills. As night begins to fall, and Jesus hasn't returned. The disciples who've just been a part of this miraculous meal, they can't find Jesus anywhere, so they hop in a boat and they go across the Sea of Galilee to the town of Capernaum. But along the way, this wild storm starts raging and they're paddling ferociously, but they can't quite get through. And as this is all happening, some person starts walking on the water towards them. They freak out naturally, as you would do as well. And finally, they figure out it's Jesus and he communicates who he is and they load him into the boat and everybody makes it across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum safely and they can go to bed. But then the next morning comes and the crowd of people that Jesus had been feeding and healing and teaching, they can't find Jesus. They're looking all over for him it occurs to them that he's not there anymore. So all of these people, the 5,000 plus load up in boats as well and they head across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. And it's there that they find Jesus teaching in a synagogue. And as all of this was building, they ask him this question when they find him. Rabbi, when did you get here? That was their question. All of that and that was their question. So let's pick up the story with Jesus's reply in verse 26. Hear how he's replied to their question. Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. You wanna be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. 
But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Hold on, so when did he get there? Right, like that is, that's not an answer to their question. Jesus gives them a sermon when they asked when he got there. Right, and so he's saying something about what it is they're really asking. He knows what it is they're seeking. He knows what it is they're after. They're after something more. They're trying to understand. And so he tells them, here's what you should be after. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give. That's what they should do. And so that lends itself to this question, right? What is eternal life? As what would happen when a lot of people on a day like this, on Christmas Eve, show up in a room like this, my guess is we have lots of definitions of what we think eternal life is or isn't. And so instead of just adding my definition to that, I'll tell you what John, the author of the gospel we're reading from today, describes eternal life as. He defines it later in John chapter 17, and here's what he says it is. He says eternal life, is knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one God sent to earth. So eternal life is fully trusting Jesus with all of who we are. It is to enter into his kingdom, which is God's will on earth as it is in heaven, and it's happening in the here and now. The kingdom of God and eternal life, it is a gift for the present. Scholar N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, the whole point of what Jesus was up to was that he was doing close up in the present what he was promising long term in the future. This is not the idea of simply saving souls for a disembodied eternity, but rescuing people from the corruption and decay of the way the world is presently so they could enjoy the present renewal of creation, which is God's ultimate purpose. This is eternal life that you would get to be a part of what God longs to do in the present, in the here and now. It's happening in this moment. And so then their interaction, now that Jesus calls them to this, continues on. They reply to him, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Right? How do we get it? How do we earn it? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That is fully trust in Jesus with all of who you are. And when he told them this, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness the scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. They want another miracle. Why is it crazy that when Jesus says, here's what you need to do, believe in the one who God has sent, they're like, show us another miracle. It's crazy because these are the same people who were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee who had no place to get food and Jesus took five loaves and two fish and he fed them all over 5,000 people. Pretty miraculous if you ask me. Why did they show up in that place in the middle of nowhere in the first place? 
because they saw Jesus performing miraculous healings and teaching in ways that nobody else was. They were drawn to his miracles twice already. And now they show up at this third time and he says, here's what you gotta do. The only work God wants from you is to believe in the one he sent. And they're like, well, show us another miracle, genie boy. Right, like They're like, give it to us one more time. But the whole context of Jesus' upcoming bread of life spiel that he's about to give is centered around that the Jewish hope was for a coming of a new Messiah. These people, for generations upon generations upon generations, had been expecting a new Moses, a new prophet to come and return to them this manna from heaven. That's what they believed it should be. And so it makes sense then that all of their history was tied up in this, that they wanted to be sure that this was the one, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would be the new Moses. And so they know that this one will bring something as miraculous as manna, which sets the stage for the miraculous bread of life. And it's as if these people were asking for something strictly physical, something they could grab onto. And Jesus is about to shift their perspective so that they might see that the physical and the spiritual overlap and intertwine. Everything is in fact spiritual that you're asking for. A present day comparison would maybe be our level of contentment with bread crammed with preservatives. Now, think maybe you're like a college-age person and you've moved into a dorm. It's the beginning of the semester and you get a loaf of bread and you put it in the cupboard and you close the cupboard and you forget all about it and then the semester comes to an end. You open the cupboard and you make a sandwich, right? Because the bread's fine because it's crammed full of preservatives, right? We're hanging on to things that we're meant to hang on to. We're keeping things that we weren't meant to keep. That's what they were doing as well. So in response to them talking about what Moses did, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I love that. That is the incarnation. That is why we are here celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? That God sent one down from heaven to earth to give us life. This is what it means that Jesus would come and join us on earth. And so here we have Jesus, who is the true bread of God. And he was born in a town called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And in that town, he was born in a feeding trough because he was intended to nourish the whole world. Did you catch that? Jesus, who was the true bread of God, was born in a town called Bethlehem, which meant house of bread in a feeding trough because he was intended to nourish the entire world. Right? What, how beautiful is that? There's the Christmas story right there. And so here's what happens next. After Jesus says he is the true bread of God, who is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said. And they're super polite all of a sudden. Sir, give us that bread every day. 
And Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, Jesus is greater manna, the ultimate gift coming down from heaven to give life to the world. Life that does not spoil or perish, but endures forever. And by saying, whoever comes, Jesus is issuing an invitation. Whoever comes will never be hungry. Whoever believes will never be thirsty. He's issuing an invitation. If you are hungry, then Jesus is for you. That's what he's saying. And yet even as he tells these followers this, Jesus says something's still a little off because he reminds them that even though they have seen him, they still haven't believed. He reminds them that only the Father, God, will draw them to him because Jesus does not want them to miss his connection with the will of God. And the will of God is to see everyone turn to him for nourishment, to believe in him and receive eternal life, the kind we just talked about in the here and now. The kind that begins when you ingest the bread of life. But as Jesus says this, the people begin to murmur. How can this be? We know his father and his mother. Which is kind of a knock on Joseph and Mary. But really what it is is that they're like, could this really be the new Moses, the coming Messiah, the promised one? We saw him grow up. We know his family. We watched him walk around in this place. Could he really be the one? And as they're thinking this and asking this, Jesus is just like, okay, chill. That's my translation. Stop complaining, he says, and he says, don't forget this. Anyone who listens to the Father and learns from him will come to me, is what Jesus says. He's saying, this God that you've been following all along will always point to me. That's what it is. Jesus is saying that, in fact, he is what God has to say to the world. And he drives this home by telling the truth again. We pick it back up in verse 47. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Hold up. We were pretty on board, like it sounded like a nice baking scene until he brought his flesh into it. But before that, he says that he's the living bread and anyone who eats him will live forever. The only time we read of anyone eating something and living forever in the entire Bible is when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. That's the only time where eating something and living forever are connected. And so by putting two and two together, being the biblical scholar that I am, I'm guessing it's a big deal that Jesus said this. But he ends it with these three words. This living bread is my flesh. And after he said this about his flesh, 
The people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. Which is a really fair question, by the way. Especially if you were there in the moment, imagine all of this happening and you're trying to figure out how you're gonna get bread from heaven and now he offers you his skin. And you're like, ah. So Jesus opts for some more truth-telling. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. It appears he is not backing down from eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He says, I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Okay, right, it was great, the bread, and now we're we're eating flesh and drinking blood, and he says it like five verses in a row. And if we wanna know how to interpret Jesus's words in their historical context here, we'll need to look at how he was understood by his first disciples, by these first followers. So in processing all of this that Jesus has just said, these disciples of Jesus found it all very hard to understand, and they wondered how anyone could accept a word such as this. And Jesus knows this, this is what they're struggling with. And so he calls it what it is as he's prone to do. And he asks, does this offend you? He turns to them and asks, does this offend you? And after he asks that question, he then goes on and he says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. He's now connected the father and the son and the spirit to the giving of eternal life. He says, human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe. And it's at this point that many of these people who had been following Jesus turned away from him and deserted him. And you can't overlook the negative reaction here. Their dilemma is not that they've misunderstood Jesus. Their dilemma was that they didn't believe him. And as that spins back to us, sitting in this room on Christmas Eve, we're faced with this, essentially, Do we believe Jesus and his hard teaching? And this is extraordinary because it's the only time in all four gospels that Jesus was ever abandoned by his own followers because of something he taught. And not only did Jesus let them walk away, there's freedom in his love, but he then turned to his committed 12 And he asked them a question. In the midst of all of these people, remember they've been following him for quite some time. They seemed to be in on what he was doing. 
and they leave and they're all going away. And imagine Jesus standing there with his followers and his closest disciples and he turns to those closest, those who know him intimately and deeply who he's been doing life with and he says this, are you also going to leave? I can imagine Jesus saying it with this combination of confidence but sadness. Like, are you also going to leave? And by him asking the disciples this, it seems clear Jesus will be making no compromise about the mystery of his body and blood, the living bread and living drink. He's not backing down from that. In fact, when he turns to these disciples and asks the question, it turns out that this is all actually a litmus test of discipleship. This is what defines us as followers of Jesus. And so here's how Peter responds on behalf of all 12 of the disciples when Jesus says, are you also going to leave? He replies, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Essentially, Peter is saying, Jesus, I don't fully grasp what you just said about eating flesh and drinking blood because how could he, right? It hasn't all been put together yet. But what he's saying is, Jesus, I do know who you are. And so it is that Peter and his disciples did not have it all figured out or understood, but that didn't matter because they could not resist the love and invitation of Jesus. The very Jesus who is divine, who is the son of God, who is making it clear that he is as divine as he is human. But what he's not doing, Jesus was not talking about eating the dead flesh of his corpse. That's gross. Rather, what he was doing is he was talking about the living flesh of his resurrected body, the true bread of God and the bread of life. And as the challenging, sometimes confounding words of Jesus come to us, we have to let them rest on us and settle on us. And so as they do that today, let me ask you a couple questions. What are you chasing after that is posing as eternal life? What are you consuming in place of the bread of life? Are the things you're pursuing and ingesting full of preservatives? Are they imposters of the real thing? And if the answer is yes, which I would assume for pretty much everybody here, there's some level of yes to that. Then I would ask the question, well, how is that going? Is that leading you to be the person you know you're supposed to be, the person God intended you to be? Is that putting you in the places you know you're supposed to interact and do the things you know you're supposed to do? Is it leading you in the direction where you believe you are who you're supposed to be? Because here's what we know. We're all hungry. And beyond our spiritual hunger lies tangible hunger that always reminds us of the other. But the reality is that there is a tangible hunger the world over and the satiating bread of life is not just here in this valley, 
right? Lest we forget Jesus is also tangible in his provision as he feeds those who are actually hungering. And so he invites us to do the same, to meet the needs of those in need. To consume the bread of life is to hand it out to those who need it. We cannot choose the bread of life and ignore the people Jesus fed. We cannot follow the marginalized one and forget the marginalized he came for. There's something that transitions inside of us. When we consume the bread of life, we now become like him and we live like him in this world. And so to summarize all of this in in one more way with a question, I would ask, are we living like Jesus is the best meal? Are we living like Jesus is the best meal? And as we prepare to receive the meal of Jesus, to receive communion together at the table of the Lord, Let me pose to you the question Jesus asked his disciples, the two questions. The first is, does this offend you? And the second is, are you going to leave? Or will you respond like Peter? And will you say today, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. And if you're saying yes to the bread of life today, whether because that's something you say daily or whether this is the first time ever you've said yes to the bread of life, whether you've been running for a long time or whether you just didn't care, whatever the case is, let's come to the Lord's table together and what we'll do is we'll eat the bread The bread that represents the body of Jesus, not just the bread of life, but the bread that hung on the cross. And so the bread represents the body of Jesus and we take that bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice and that represents the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And as we eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus, we are remembering the saving death of Jesus but also acknowledging that he is the only one who sustains us, the only one who heals us, the only one who saves us, the only one who makes us whole. And once we've eaten, once we've come humbly to the table and we've eaten the bread and we've drunk the wine, we are now full again so that we might join the work of the kingdom of God and pour out our lives in the same way as the Jesus that we follow. We go and now we join Jesus as resurrected people, living bread ourselves in the world. And so whenever you're ready to come to the Lord's table and receive the bread and the wine, you can do that. We'll make a line on one side and then we'll take the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice and head down the other, get a good flow going there. If you need gluten-free bread, it's on the outer tables. And so to prepare us for coming to the Lord's table or the Lord's many tables as these ones are, I have an invitation for us that will serve as a prayer. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord 
who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.